Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's Friday, November the 10th, 2023. Veterans Day, apparently, according to Beth Ann. Patrick, who uh, is uh, on the show today. I didn't know about it, which explains why nobody's working except Bethan and I. Uh, it's a good prelude for the age of AI. Actually, the only other person working today is Keith Tier, who did a show with me. That was the week author. He believes that this is the week where, uh, and I'm quoting here, OpenAI and uh, and its CEO, Sam Altman, announced some world-changing technologies which represent the beginning, the real beginning of our AI age, which is appropriate because um, Bethann, Patrick, and I today are talking about books on AI, whether in the AI age there'll still be books is an interesting question. Bethann, uh, maybe I'll ask you that one first. Are we still going to be reading or is no, it going to be I, is reading for us? That is a very interesting question. And I'll tell you that at least one of the authors that I'm going to be talking about today believes that we not only will be, but should be for very specific reasons. But uh, we've got a couple of others who might believe that reading is just way on the way out. But couple, of, there's a little bit of wackiness yeah. going on. Here and it's too. ironic, of course, that they're telling us that... Um... We won't be reading, and they'll be. Uh, they brought out books to explain why we won't be reading, which is particularly ironic. Let's begin with a book. Yes. Some of the books you've chosen, uh, Beth Ann, are older books, but there's a book yes. that's out this week, which actually I'd like to get um, Fee Fi Lee on the show, a very distinguished AI yes. uh, scientist, I think based in LA. Uh, the Moving Memoir, according to Macmillan of a scientist coming of age as an immigrant in America who finds her calling at the forefront of the AI revolution. Uh, what's interesting about this book? Have you had a chance to look at it? I have, Andrew, and it's out this week. And Fifi Lee is, Dr. Dr. Lee, is not just at the forefront. I mean, come on, if you don't know her name, you do know ImageNet, which she created. And she's responsible for that. She's currently the director, the leader, whatever you want to call her, at the Stanford Center for Human-Centered AI, which I think is really significant because she does believe that AI is a responsibility, okay? That its future is so impactful that we have to keep some human agency around that. We have to make choices. And it's a great book inspirationally. Ultimately, this is more a book about Dr. Lee's journey, as the notes from the publisher say, from being you know, a child of immigrants in the United States, a woman of color who didn't always have the easiest way making it in the world of science, because there are plenty of you know, tech bros, as we all know. So that is what this book, I think this book is incredible for young women, whether they're in high school, in graduate school, you know, starting in careers, to see that Lee didn't let anything um, stand in her way. And when she really wanted to 
do something groundbreaking, she found the way to do it. So she says that AI is a piece of software. I mean, she literally says that and she's correct. It's developing really fast. But another thing I think that's very important is she says, we don't really create governance models before a technology is ready to be governed. That's just the way our society happens to work. So we need to get the governance in place because things are going, as you mentioned, uh, with the uh, new models that are coming out. Things are going really fast. We actually did a show, Bethann, uh, I think it was last week or a week or two ago with another author, uh, Lisa Munoz, um, an interesting uh, show we did about uh, more women in science. I can't remember the name Excellent. of the book. But so is this book really about women in science rather than AI, the Fi-Fi Fi -Fi Lee uh, book? Uh, it um, actually is. It really, it's a little bit more, but of course, here's the thing. Because Dr. Lee is so much at the forefront of AI, the book does talk about AI. So it is not that if you're interested in AI, you should not read this book because reading about her journey, reading about the way she has gone through various, not just her education, but her jobs and how she's chosen. You know, she's been at Google. She's been at um, all kinds of different places. And now she's at Stanford and she's really focusing on this human side of AI. She does what not. What does that mean, though, human side? I mean, that's just a, everyone talks about the human side of AI. Well, the you. human side of AI, I think, is exactly what I mentioned a few minutes ago, which is that, as Dr. Lee says, it is a tool right now. And if we get the government, govern, governance, excuse me, in place correctly, then we can at least keep it a tool for as long as that is good for humans. Uh, I think that's what her interest is right now, is slowing the role, if you will, of AI and making sure that humans know how it's going to affect them and how they can corral it before things get th things move along a lot more is that credible though um last week elon musk met with uh riffy uh, sunak the british prime minister who seemed thrilled to have the opportunity to interview musk but most of the regulatory initiatives in terms of AI seem very slow, archaic, and inefficient. And by the time the governments turn around, we'll have new AI architecture in place. Uh, it seems as if these private companies, uh, Twitter, well, not no longer Twitter, but Facebook and Google and OpenAI in particular, they're much more powerful and speedier and better financed than governments themselves. Well, I would, uh, you know, I'm not sure which book you wanted to go on to next, Andrew, but um, I will say um, if we, if you don't mind moving on to Cade Metz's book, mm. um, which is called Genius Makers. Now, this is from 2021. And what I really like about this book is Metz is a journalist. Okay. Yes, he's a tech journalist and knows a lot about this stuff, but 
the tone of the book, because he is a journalist, is really suitable for people who want to understand a bit more about the major players in this field and about what they've been up to. Okay. So um, Metz did 400 interviews for the New York Times and for Wired magazine. And he's very good, for instance, on the English, um, I believe English, maybe I'm getting Scottish or uh, but Jeff Hinton, Jeffrey Hinton. Yeah, Jeffrey who, Hinton's um, English, uh, although yeah. I think now he lives in Canada. And, um, that might be true. And Hinton is the one who sort of kept the flame of artificial intelligence alive for a long time while not a lot of technological advances were being made, but he really believed in the the possibility. And so it's a great interview in there. Uh, I will say I, I'm getting and I'm getting to a point that goes back to what you were talking about in just a moment. So here's the thing. Um, China has built a domestic industry on AI that's worth more than $150 billion. Okay. China is treating artificial intelligence like its own Apollo program, says Metz. And that is significant because, as you said, Rishi Sunak met very happily with Elon Musk. People want to go where the money is. People want to go also where the interest in spending that money is going to produce as much for them as possible. And one of the things about neural nets, which uh, Cade Metz talks about a lot with everyone from Hinton to, um, uh, you know, to Mark Zuckerberg and uh, uh, what's the first name? Schmidt, the head of Google. Eric Schmidt. Former. Eric Schmidt. Yeah. And I'm sorry I, that escaped my neural network for a moment. But here's the thing. They're really great at pattern recognition right now, but they're not necessarily great at thinking. And so here's the problem with that. And here's the interesting part of that as people like Musk and Sunak and people speak to the Chinese government about their programs. A lot of the networks that are being built are kind of racist and old thinking. I'm Now I'm sounding like 1984 old think. Um, we were talking about that last week, of course. Um, but what I'm saying is you gather up all this information, you gather up all of these pictures, all of these phrases, all of these documents, all of these books, and you get some very old stereotypes and prejudices in them. And so it is not perfect right now. And if we really want to use these, if we really want um, to compete with what China is doing um, in artificial intelligence, we also need to spend time, you know, cleaning up the back end of AI. And I thought that was an interesting point that Let, let me ask you this about the Mets book. Um, yeah. You said it came out last year. Uh, yeah. Actually, be, wait, it came out in February of this year. Mm -hmm. But generative AI exploded about a year ago. Right. Um, d does it? These books, these tech books, and particularly on AI, they age so fast. And yes, they do. Some event like OpenAI and the success of generative AI suddenly make all of them completely redundant. Is Genius Makers up to date? Does it include, for example, 
interviews with Sam Altman, who now is the most powerful and influential figure in AI? Right. You know, I'm genius makers. I think is probably a little bit out of date. But again, this is a way for someone who, you know, I wanted to choose different kinds of books um, when, in talking about this. And so some of the books, you know, are very, very much up to date. Some of them have had a long lasting effect and others like this one, you need to, you know, you're going to need to read more after genius makers. Someone is going to have to, you know, have that interview with Dr. Lee, that interview with Sam, that interview with whomever is at the forefront, because as you said, generative AI is what really tipped everything this year. It's what has everyone talking about AI. AI didn't get invented in 2023, but that's why we're talking about it. Now, it, generative AI has a ways to go. We all know that, but it is here. You know, one of the things that I think is fascinating is, you know, I know my students at American University are using it all the time. I'm also using it. I might be using it differently. I might be using it in ways that are more about teaching and assisting them and helping them find ways to study and research, but I'm still using it. And here, you know, come on, there were probably people, I can't remember back this far anymore, Andrew, who said that Google was a cheat, right? Yeah. The, I'm always aware of these books with titles like Genius Makers, The Mavericks. These people are you know, I live in Silicon Valley. I know some of yeah. them. They're not mavericks. They're usually horribly conformist and boring people <laughs> without any social skills at all. I mean, are there any real mavericks in this book? What exactly is a maverick? I thought that was a basketball team. You know, I, I think that's true. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. Is is Mark Zuckerberg a maverick? No, he's just someone you want to avoid. I once met Jeffrey Hinton and he spent the whole evening lying on the floor because he said he had a bad back. Oh, my goodness. Um, I mean, there is one interesting human story, and I hope someone will write a book about it. Uh -huh. is that generative AI, the technology was actually developed and financed within Google. Google chose not to invest yes. more in it. Yes. And Sam Altman took a bet on a technology that was developed within Google, which now he took to Microsoft from a OpenAI and it's become perhaps the most existential threat to Google. So there are still very uh, human stories of, of, of guys like Altman, who are smart, who took, a, who took a risk. I'm not sure he's a maverick. He's just a smart businessman willing to, uh, willing to pursue his own instincts. So I, I, I'm sure there's going to be a whole, and I use this word carefully, rash of books about Sam Altman, what do you think, by the way, you didn't include the, um, the Isaacson book on, um, uh, on Elon Musk. Do you think some of these books are really rather tasteless, these, these cult, cult biographies, hagiographies of people like Musk? I do. I, I, because I agree with you, Andrew, that someone might have a great tolerance for risk. Someone might have a super talent for sniffing out a good financial bet. Someone might have 
an incredible idea, but then not have a lot of personality like Zuck to back up that idea. And so one of the things, uh, if you don't mind my jumping ahead and uh, going to uh, another book right now, um, I think this is a good Well, let me... Um, oh, yeah, please. Let's take a very short break oh, yeah. because we may have a, an intermission here. We are talking... Uh, let's take that short break. Uh, we are talking to Beth Ann Patrick, my favorite book critic, at, not only at the LA Times, but anywhere. If I had <laughs> to read one book critic, it would be Beth Ann Patrick, and she's on the show. I'm thrilled and honored that she has chosen to come back time and time again on a Friday, even on Veterans Day. I'm not sure if she's a veteran. I think you're married to one, aren't you? I am. Yes, indeed. Have you given him the day off, Beth Ann? I have given him, officially given him the day off, although. He's making dinner right now. Well, good. Some, <laughs> give him something to do. Um, so we have we're doing a show on uh, on um, AI books on AI. We've talked about uh, Fifi Lee, uh, her new book, The Worlds. We've talked about Cade Metz's Genius Makers. What's the next one you'd like to discuss? Uh, the next one would be Super Intelligence by Nick Bostrom, which is from 2014. A classic. So, uh, I mean, it's got um, yes. it's got over five, almost five thousand ratings on Amazon. It's it's yes. a cult book by a cult writer, Bostrom. It is. Um, Bostrom is, as you say, a cult writer. I mean, this is one of the two books that Bill Gates says you know you must read about artificial intelligence, and. Okay, was it written for lay people? Because it is pretty dense. It is tough going, okay? But it actually is a great book to discuss after Cade Metz because one of the things Bostrom does make a point of saying, even though this is nine years ago now, that you know the first super intelligence to be created is going to have first mover advantage. And that is going to be incredibly powerful in shaping the world according to the super intelligence, the super intelligence's preferences. So it could, for example, once it's created, overcome any kind of resistance that humans have to its existence. And he does talk about that. And he also talks about something that I think is really interesting, which is that artificial general inte general intelligence um, and generative intelligence, um, AGI is a phrase another author we'll talk about in a minute uses, is something that is going to make it possible to have super intelligent humans. And Bostrom in 2014 said that this was going to be happening you know, in the next 20 to 30 years. I don't know if it is yet. It certainly hasn't happened to me. Um, I have not become super intelligent, but well, I you do- You already were super intelligent. <laughs> Thank I don't you. think you could be any more intelligent, could you? <laughs> well, you know, this is an interesting thing um, and we will be talking about this as well. Here's a question for everyone. And I know we need to go to a break, but I want to say, what's more important, intelligence or consciousness? Well, coming back to Bostrom, we'll get to the yeah. break in a minute. It's not just Gates. Musk was a big fan or remains oh, yeah. being a big fan of Bostrom's book. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Beth Ann, but my understanding of Bostrom's argument, and he's a professor of 
physics at Oxford. So yeah. he's the other end of the spectrum on these tech books to Kate yes. Metz, who's a, a rather fawning journalist. Uh, Bostrom understands this stuff, although he doesn't always express himself very clearly. But isn't the point of the book to suggest that AI could acquire its own consciousness? Doesn't he use the yeah. argument of the, the paperclip to suggest that at a certain point, logically, uh, these systems, these algorithms will learn to think for themselves and therefore will become the footnotes to history. Isn't that the point of this book? It is the point of this book. Uh, and that, you know, we should be trying very hard to gain benefits from artificial intelligence um, to deliver outcomes that will help us as human beings with what we already have. Um, he does use the argument of the paperclip, which made me think, Andrew, mostly of that very old, I believe, was it an Asimov or Arthur C. Clarke short story in which the wire coat hangers in the closet started reproducing on their own? Every time you went back to the closet, you know, there were more and more hangers because mm. they, and in, in that story, of course, the only um, artificial anything was that these inanimate objects could actually procreate. But that was the first time I remember when I read that in junior high school that I thought, what happens when they have more? What happens when they can think about, do we want to stay in this closet? <laughs> do we really need the Bostroms and the Metzies and even the, the Fifi Lees of the world? Couldn't we just go back to Asimov? Um, uh, no, that is, I think that actually, there we go. I agree. So we can end the show now and enjoy <laughs> Veterans Day. Definitely. Oh, we don't we don't want to end the show now because no, we, we don't want to end the show because we have a commercial break <laughs> for Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics. I've promised all my guests that they're going to get one, uh, an annual subscription, although not not they still haven't got them. But uh, at some point, Liberties will show up at all. I guess it's an excellent uh, publication, strongly advised for anyone who loves ideas and reading. It comes in a beautifully bound physical book, a real old-fashioned book, a, a pre-AI age book. I'm going to run. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe to Liberties at libertiesjournal.com. We're speaking with my favorite literary critic, Beth Ann Patrick, who writes for the Los Angeles Times. She has a wonderful podcast. She's on this show all the time. She's ubiquitous, but not quite as ubiquitous as um, a man called Yuval Noah Harari, who is the author of Homo Deus and Sapiens. Do you think there really is such a person? Uh, <laughs> Yuval Harari. It always seems as if he's probably 
an early version of an AI. Does he really exist? Can you know, he, he just really seems very controlled, very, very controlled. Um, you know what I love about Harari is that his very early academic work was on medieval warfare. Okay, I love this because it seems to me, especially after taking a look at Sapiens, which we've all taken a look at, and Homo Deus, that he has a lot of fixed ideas about human nature that, uh, you know, it, it would be some historians think that way, not all do, but it is very interesting for someone who is looking at the history of how we might be working with technology. It's interesting for someone to say, okay, this is the way we've always been. And so one of the things that he says in Homo Deus is humans will have to agree to give up meaning in exchange for power. And so his question with that is what is going to be the price that we pay? Now, a lot of us thinking about AI these days think there's going to be a really high price for that. If we give up meaning, we're going to be giving up so many of the things that make our lives beautiful and deep, you know, everything from painting to dance to music to books, of course. And so this question of what's more valuable, intelligence or consciousness, really plays a role in Homo Deus. And the Guardian says that Harari, real or fake human, writes really seductively about this. Yeah, he's a very, I mean, to be fair, he's annoying to most of us writers because he's so successful, but he is a very, very good writer. Yeah, and, and he is a very, and so it makes it really easy to fall into believing what he is saying that, you know, we're going to overreach ourselves and we're going to become these, you know, conscious beings who no longer have, you know, real meaning and real depth. And one of the things that's very interesting, though, and I don't see enough writing about this, or at least not at the layperson level, is he talks about, you know, if human beings are all consciousness, then we're a lot like other animals, right? And so if there's a superior intelligence, are we going to be somehow treated like animals? And I was put in mind, Andrew, because I'm such a fiction person of Mary Doria Russell's excellent novel, The Sparrow, in which a Jesuit who um, is living in the future goes to a different planet and uh, sees some really difficult scenarios in which humans are being bred as food for other species. Do you think, uh, I mean, you can't go to an airport in the world without bumping into Yuval Noah Harari. <laughs> That's <book>. true. <laughs> These kind of books, you're, you're about as much a, a book purist as anyone, and you love good literature. Are these good or bad, these kind of international airport bestsellers, the Harari, Homo Deus? I, I wish people would read them with a much bigger, maybe not just a grain of salt, but a big salt shaker by their side, mm. because a salt mine, maybe a salt mine. That's right. Oh, you know? In a salt mine as punishment. That's right. That's right. They you know, because there is no way that any one book has the answers. 
any, there's no single book that has the answers at, um, to anything. And so you are getting, you all know a Harari's point of view on this. You are not reading all of the points of view. And we have two more books to yeah a couple of, i mean i think yuval noah harari is an industry i'm sure he has a whole yes. team around him <laughs> making these books so we're not entirely sure i love that israel of course and he's quite outspoken on the politics of israel i've heard him yes. on the uh, on podcasts one or two interesting podcasts i wonder if the best application of ai if we want to get a reality check and then we'll move on to your last couple of books um bethan but if we really wanted to, to, to get proof of whether AI has any potential, why don't we just all agree internationally to use it for the uh, Arab-Israeli conflict and say, okay, oh. AI decides this is what we're going to do. That, you know, let's let ChatGPT answer that. They, uh, ChatGPT can write an essay about how to solve the Arab-Israeli conflict. And I'm not being as flippant as, and neither are Nor you. Nor am I. It's a serious... No. Let, let's use it to actually fix a problem that we cannot fix as humans. We've spent 70 years trying to fix this one. We can't. It clearly is getting worse and worse. So let's give it to the machines and see if they are. They, they can't do worse than we've done, right? Uh, unfortunately, uh, especially with one of the book, the last two books, we're going to see that um, there is at least one author who believes they couldn't possibly. So I think that's very, very interesting. Uh, it is a proposition, I think, that is quite interesting as well, but it's not going to happen. Well, we might be disappointed. I think the book you're talking about is yes. The Myth of Artificial Intelligence, Why Computers Can't Think the Way We Do by Eric J. Larson. Uh, Eric actually was on the show last month on Keenon. So he's been on a couple of times. He's a Interesting fellow. I think he's based in Austin, Texas. Um, yes. uh, what does he say uh, about why computers can't think the way we do? And to what extent is he challenging the convention of the Hararis and the Bostroms and even the Fee-Fi-Lees? You know, Eric J. Larson, and I just want to say to anyone listening or watching, um, this is not your devil in the white city, Eric Larson. That's a different one spelled differently. I think um, he has a K in it somewhere. Eric, no, it's Eric J. And the other one's Eric yeah. K, is it? Might be, might be. I thought, I think his name is L-A-R. S-E-N as well, but I am uh, can't check that right now. So, uh, but I just know they're two different authors, two different men. Uh, what Eric J. Larson here, the University of Texas professor is talking about is AI and inductive reasoning as opposed to abductive reasoning. So inductive reasoning is all about crunching data sets, right? That's what FIFA Lee has done. That's what ImageNet was all about. And she knows that very well. Um, but human beings don't correlate data sets. That's not how we think. We think in context. We think with our experience, which is extremely different from individual to individual. It's a web says Larson, of best guesses, okay? So whatever we happen to know about the world, that's what we bring into our abductive reasoning. And AI cannot replicate that right now. Now, actually, what I think is fascinating 
about Larson is so, you know, someone who isn't really into AI might think, yeah, great, Eric Larson, you know, they'll, they'll never take over. But he says, actually, if we keep ignoring the fact that artificial intelligence can't do this, we won't have it progress the way it should. So I don't know if that means for sure that Larson believes this will happen in the future if we course correct or not. But I do love, and this is something I just want to point out, he talks about Copernicus. Okay. So Copernicus rejected the geocentric model of the solar system. And Larson says, look, he had to reject all of the data, the data in the medieval world and completely reconceptualize it. So right now, artificial intelligence cannot do that. It can't possibly take the data and then think back and reconceptualize it and imagine something. And so this is this is a great example of why AI, or as Larson often refers to it, AGI, artificial general intelligence, can't do everything. Human beings are able to imagine, you know, the inside of a star. They might not get it right the first time, but our abductive reasoning, our imaginative capacities allow us to keep thinking, to keep getting things wrong until we get closer to the truth. And so I think that Larson's book is really useful, <coughs> excuse me, in um, working against uh, the very, very big AI, AI is everything, AI can do it all kind of model. Although, given how we do think, most of us think either rather banal or sometimes rather awful thoughts. I'm not sure it's necessarily a bad thing that computers can't think the way we do. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You know, if, if computers, uh, we don't want um, computers to think the way a Stephen King novel thinks, right? No, mm. we, we don't want that to become a reality. Uh, my local movie theater, the Alamo in uh, in the Mission District of San Francisco, has got a rerun of Blade Runner tomorrow. I went last year. It's always worth reminding ourselves that a lot of these issues aren't new. Uh, and perhaps the granddaddy of all this is our final book um, by another character who may or may not exist, Ray Kurzweil. <laughs> um, the singularity is near when humans transcend biology. He was actually on this show, the Keenon show back in 2012 when it was a TechCrunch show. Um, and he predicted back then that computers will reverse engineer the human mind by 2029. And I have to admit that actually that at the time it seemed kind of absurd, but in 2023, it's not that unrealistic. What, what is, um, what, how, how does the singularity is near? How does that book read now? It came out, what, in, in 2005? You know, um, I think it reads a little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A little retro, if you will, uh, a little, uh, it, it's in a cool way or a redundant way. It, it, 
in an in a redundant way. So, okay, why is a 2005 book on my list? And this Ray, is Ray, if you're watching, Bethann thinks you're redundant. <laughs> I always thought it was redundant. But even back in 2012, he seemed slightly redundant. Well, he's to been me working. He's been working on a lot of stuff for a long time. Uh, I think he's allowed to get things wrong once in a while. But in 2024, he is releasing The Singularity is Nearer. So uh, that's what I'm interested. That should be good, actually. It should be good. And, um, you know, this is a man who is, PBS called him one of the 16 revolutionaries who made America. Um, Time Magazine called him Edison's rightful heir. Um, this is not Ray Kurzweil may get things wrong. He may uh, have some ideas that are a little bit wacky once in a while, but he also has some incredible ideas, incredible patents, some things that he's done to uh, really, really change lives. Could especially, we call him? Could we be really daring uh, Beth Ann and call him a maverick? I do think we can call Ray Kurzweil a maverick. There you are, Ray. You there are we go. There we go. So he believes in this, uh, you know, the singularity, which is the point where all machines intelligence, where, where, where the machine intelligence is going to merge with human intelligence. That's what the singularity is. His prediction in the singularity is near is that this would happen in 2045. Now, um, the singularity is nearer. I'm just going to place a little bit of a bet, given the title, that he has changed the date of the singularity. So uh, here's the thing. Here's the thing, Andrew. I just want to tell everyone, look, Kurzweil might sound wacky to you. After all, he's going to have his body preserved in liquid nitrogen so that, you know, when the technology is possible. He can be brought back he's a to life. Hopper as well. He's, he's, he's in the, the Peter Thiel crowd. He thinks he can live forever. Yes, he does. He does. Um, he started that, I guess, when he was in his 30s, even. Yeah. He wanted to live forever. So, you know, Ray Kurzweil wants to have the last word. But let's face it, who's going to be waking him up um, hundreds of yeah, years from now? I don't now? know. Anyone really wants to sleep next to Ray Kurzweil. Oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> And actually, this is the right week to be talking about this because it's yes. the week that the AI pin came out. It was launched. It might be the beginnings of the hardware side of AI. Um, so maybe maybe the singularity is nearer because this AI pin is one more step towards the singularity where we and computers combine or come together. Is that true? It, you know, it could be, I think, as you and I discussed uh, before the show, that this is not uh, perhaps going to be the lasting version of an AI pin or personal device. You know, this, I, I mean, people will have it. People will use it for a while. It may change. It may morph. Um but I think we have a ways to go before we actually are wearing AI. That's my non-scientific opinion, but I am fascinated by these books and can't wait to start reading more. So, Well, let's end on a dystopian note, Beth Ann. Here's my dystopia. What will happen is that in the future, we're all going to become Yuval Noah. <laughs> <laughs> 
We're, we're all, it's going to be the singularity. The that, singularity. I mean, rather than Blade Runner, where there's different people, everyone will be Noah Yuval Harari. And uh, okay, what's your, well, what's, that's my dystopia. What's yours? My dystopia is Gattaca, because you mentioned Blade Runner. And I don't know if you, I hope you've seen Gattaca. That's such a great. Uh, I have to admit, I haven't. All right. That is your weekend. That's my, uh, that's my homework. Yep. Although it's not, I, I don't watch on the television. I only go to the movie theater. So it has to be at the theater. Okay. It has to be at the theater. Uh, we, you know, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm teasing you. But um, Gattaca is such a great dystopian movie. Wonderful cast. Um, Jude Law, Uma Thurman. Um, uh, yeah, it's really, really good. And in that future, for example, Jude Law, who has had all kinds of um, problems. His body, he's in a wheelchair of some sort, but he is known as a valet. He sounds he, like Ray Kurzweil. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, I hope you have the best weekend. Go see a movie. Thank you so much, Andrew. Yeah, happy Veterans Day to everybody, even Noah Harari, whatever his name is, <laughs> and Ray Kurzweil. <laughs>